We don't have to count. We are all together in person today for this special final recording. This is the first time you've been in the States since we started? Yes. Wow. Yeah, that's right. Because we started recording these in spring of 21. We released the first episode in summer of 21. But you would have, I think you would have pretty much just gotten to Mongolia, right? I guess so. We moved over there right at the start of April that year. Mm -hmm. And in any case, I know that I've never recorded anywhere other than our house and my little office over there. Yeah, I think so, because that was my first semester, and we started a little ways through, and we recorded about five, I think, before we actually published any. That's right. And now you're done. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, that's right. Officially graduated. Officially graduated. This is really nice. Moving into the next thing. So we thought it'd be fun for the final one to uh, just record it while we're all together down in Alabama. Um, so I thought we'd uh, go, we could go over a few things um, from my worship class. So my final paper in that class was to create a theology of corporate worship. So I thought it'd be fun to talk through some of that and then um, just conclude with a few final thoughts on doing the podcast and wrap up this project for now. Great, let's get into it. All right, so five things from my worship class about corporate worship. Worship is ecclesiological, it is liturgical, it is doxological, it is aesthetical, and it is sacramental. Wow. So that's uh, some fun stuff that we can jump into and break down. I think just with those words, everybody should be good to go. I don't know that we need to unpack There we go. We'll move to final thoughts. Um, but I do think it's really important for people to think through at least what they believe about corporate worship. Why do we as Christians gather once a week? Why does Hebrews tell us not to neglect gathering together? If you lose sight of why we're doing this, then it can be easy to just start to neglect church and start to miss the point of why we're all getting mm -hmm. together once a week. I remember, did I mention this already in the other podcast about Dr. Bounds saying that theology of the church is one of the main issues for the like upcoming generation or current generation? Oh, I don't remember that. Oh, yeah, go ahead and say it. So a couple of years ago when Dr. Bounds, who is a, a seminary professor now. And he may have said this before. Thank you. <laughs> when he was here doing some speaking, I asked him what he saw as the main challenges for the current college generation. Hmm. And he said he thinks he didn't hesitate. So he thought of this or been asked this before. Hmm. But he said the top two, he thinks, is a theology of the body, which has to do with gender and sexuality hmm. and a theology of the church that people don't see and understand the necessity and the place of the church in their own lives like wow. they need to. So I'm passionate about that because of this. And when I asked him actually mm. for resources for both of those things, he was quick to give me five or six resources for theology of the body to address mm. that problem. And he had nothing for theology of the church. He said that he doesn't know of any. 
He sent me one chapter of a book that he and some other colleagues are working on. That one chapter was on the theology of the church. Wow. But besides that, he didn't have any anything to recommend. So I guess it's been just taken um, as common course that that the corporate worship, mm-hmm. corporate gathering, fellowship in the church is essential for so long that there hasn't needed to be study and and apologetic work for it. I guess maybe. Mm. I think a lot of people. Um, might lean into the kind of idea that, well, we need it so that we don't get weak in our faith or something like that. And um, mm-hmm. and that is a reason, but I feel like that's another one that people can sort of brush aside and be like, oh, my faith is strong. I'm never going to like turn away from God. That kind of defensive idea, I don't think, is needs to be our whole picture of mm, it's not sufficient. the point of the church. Yeah, We just had a mm. citywide camp this past week called Wired, and the theme of the week was In Harmony. I was talking about just unity among churches, but also unity among believers and stuff like that. But the Bible study section that I wrote was specifically on being in harmony with the church. And so it had that kind of concept as one of the main ideas. And the first question I had in the Bible study for the students to discuss was, can you be a Christian and not go to church? And when I hmm. did, when I had that question for the group leaders, when I was training it for the group leaders, they had different answers. And initially, everybody was kind of like, well, yeah, you can be a Christian and not go to church. You just won't be a strong Christian or you need it for this reason, but you can still be a Christian. Then a couple others kind of started saying, I don't think you actually can be a Christian if you aren't going to church because that means you're living in disobedience and you're disconnected from the body of Christ, which is connected to the head. And so if you're choosing not to go to church, then I don't think you can actually walk out your Christian faith. Mm. And so I was happy to see that sort of wrestling with yeah, them. Yeah, good discussion mm-hmm. well, on that question. reminds me of something that you uh, brought up in a sermon before, which was about the comparison, well, about that Christ loves his church and the, the church is the bride of Christ. And if you had like a best friend who got married and you... We're like, oh, you know, you're still my best friend, but I, I don't want to be around your wife. I can't stand your wife. Then that would create some tension in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm. Serious tension. Right. Yeah. I mean, assuming, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unless they had an unhealthy marriage too, I guess. But uh, that's not the way it is with Jesus. So. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then jumping into this first point, then about the ecclesiological nature of the church really the congregational aspect of being in a, in the corporate body of Christ when we worship. The first question that I was asked to answer for this final paper was, why is it important for worship to be congregational? So it, rather than individualistic? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So that's kind of what, we were, what I was thinking through. Why is through. it important for worship to be congregational? So a few of the things that I talked about in my paper, um, and then I'll get your thoughts. I said, sadly, many Western contemporary Christians mistakenly view spirituality as private and divorced from their activities and relationships. American individualism has infiltrated Christianity and the church. Um, One of the things that I thought about with this is how it's common for during our 
music and singing section of worship for the room to be really dark. And really the attention is on just an individual relationship between the worshiper and God Hmm. instead of Hmm. an emphasis on everybody worshiping together. It doesn't always need to be like that. Um, That's right. Always is. Yeah. It doesn't mean there's never a place for that. I think there is definitely some time where it's good to be among other believers who are all focused and connecting to God personally. That still strengthens us as a body. Mm-hmm. When we, even if you see somebody else like fervently praying, like at the altar, for example, somebody may be at the altar personally connecting with God, and that strengthens the whole body or it strengthens you when you see that. And so when there is mm-hmm. personal connection going on, that still strengthens the whole body. But right. that doesn't need to be the sole focus, which I do think sometimes in worship, we're really focused on that. Yeah, make it dark, make the music loud enough that you can't like hear each other in case people are, you know, uh, concerned about, something. yeah, off yeah. key or if they're concerned about their singing ability and mm-hmm. you don't want to uh, mm-hmm. disturb people's private uh, connection. So I think that we have taken that too far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I hadn't really considered this that question much. Um about the reason for congregational worship. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think one reason that strikes a chord with me somewhat is that um, in some ways it's like a public declaration, a public reaffirmation of your values and and of your um, pursuit of God. I think in the same way that just having an ideal in your head and versus actually doing something that's like a a step of making it more real, right? Like you can say that you believe this and this, or just sticking with the example of, um, seeking God. If you say like, Oh yeah, I really want to know God. I want to have a strong prayer life, but then you never do anything. And you're just telling people that or just thinking it, then not, it's not very real. It's just an idea. Um, if you're actually taking steps to have quiet times, to be praying, to be at looking for God, that's, making it another, it brings it into another step of like confirmation or reality, I feel like. And then mm. when you're taking, when you're doing some steps in front of other people or alongside other people, I feel like that brings it into more, kind of sets it more in stone or a little more like solidifies it as something that you're really doing mm-hmm. and that you're committed to doing. In the same way that like in my case, exercise is something that you can say like, oh, I value that, but then you never do it. Or I can start doing exercise. That's great. But then for me, when I actually went with people to the gym to do exercise was when I was the most effective or the most Mm -hmm. like actually committed to doing it. And Mm -hmm. and I would have the best results and the best Mm -hmm. consistency. So I think there is some of that aspect, like the iron sharpens iron and you're Mm -hmm. sort of it takes a deeper level of commitment to the ideal to mm-hmm. engage with it or to affirm it publicly. Mm-hmm. So that's one yeah. idea that comes to mind. I was talking with a guy at Ultimate Frisbee a couple of weeks ago about church, and he was basically saying, like, oh, the Bible doesn't say you have to go to church. Like, I talk to my brother about the Bible, and that's my church kind of thing. Mm. And so I was giving him a couple of Bible verses that do talk about meeting together and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I just used a quick analogy of ultimate Frisbee because we were out there. I said, you know, you can throw Frisbee on your own, which is boring and hard, or you can get one other person and throw the Frisbee back and forth and you can really get a lot better. But if you don't ever come out here 
with the whole team and play, you're not going to get better. Mm-hmm. You're not actually going to like be doing what all that practice is for because it's just you and like one other person or two other per- people. You need the whole team mm-hmm. and to actually play the game. Mm-hmm. How do you respond to that? He it was like, yeah, yeah, I get that. I get what you're saying. <laughs> he came to church yeah. the next Sunday. Really? At Harvest, yeah. <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> you kind of, you like uh, have these the if the results of that argument and you kind of uh, withheld the effectiveness. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think that specific argument is why point. he came. Oh, okay. But that was my point for why church is important. I had just yeah. invited him and said it would mean a lot if he came, and so he told me he would try to make it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. Anyway. To carry that analogy <laughs> forward then, it, I think it's really important for people to understand or have the mindset of wanting the team to get better and not just individual improvement. And mm-hmm. that's what I hear a lot that's is true. people view church as the time for them to be fed mm-hmm. and to grow in their relationship with God rather than seeing themselves as a covenant community, the people of God that are together advancing the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a few quotes that I like along those lines. Um, one from Robert Weber where he talks about worship as a meeting between God and his people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think uh, even these people, if, if they consider themselves so spiritually mature that they don't need church, uh, which we've already kind of covered is, is a little fallacious, but even if they do feel that way, did they get that way without the church? And, Mm. and if they're not, willing to give others what they received, then it really reminds me of the parable of hiding the lamp under, you know, hiding your light, hiding a Mm -hmm. lamp under something and just keeping it to yourself and God. Mm -hmm. Shame on you. (laughs) (laughs) The speaker at Wired this year did one of the messages kind of on the church because of the Bible study being oriented around that. Mm. And one of his points was that faith is personal but not private and talked about people getting those things no, kind of good. confused that's a nice distinction hmm. most relationships are like that where there is a personal one-to-one aspect to it but if your relationship is like secret from everyone else then uh that's uh gets a little bit weird unhealthy yeah unhealthy under way. most cases i mean like you know yeah, it wouldn't if it's if it's a really meaningful relationship, then yeah, that would be unhealthy. I guess if it's just like my barber and I share the greatest conversations, but <laughs> I've never introduced him to any of my friends. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of weird. <laughs> I mean, that's not weird. Really that's fine. No, I was gonna go to the next. Go to the next point after. Uh, that's enough of ecclesiastical. Oh, oh, that's um, right. Yeah. So the next point then is the liturgical aspect of worship. So this is really how should the church worship? What kind of acts should be done in worship and why? So one of the things we talked about in class is what we called the fourfold structure of worship, um, which is kind of the traditional things that the church has included in a worship service. And so it's the gathering, the word, the table or response, and then the sending. I don't understand the table part. And I feel like sending is one that often doesn't get executed yeah. well. Traditionally, the act of response has been communion. Hmm. 
And so a lot of churches, their response has been the table, is what that means, the table of Christ, their communion. Whereas in more casual churches, there's often not communion every single week as the way to respond. And so we use other types of response. Hopefully, there needs to be some sort of response. That's something I'm very passionate about is that mm-hmm. we don't ever skip response, which some traditions and churches just completely miss response, mm-hmm. which I think is mm-hmm. really, really a, like devastating to your church life if there's not an emphasis on response. Some kind of call to action. Yeah. Yes. So ga- gathering word response and then the sending and once you have that basic structure in place then there's really a lot of flexibility and a lot of things that are appropriate when it comes to the specific elements that are involved in a worship service but one interesting thing is that uh, christian worship has almost universally included singing Um, and we see that a lot in the bible the old testament you know, it's full of music and singing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ephesians 5.19 says, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. And then in Colossians, something very similar to that. Jesus with his disciples sang a hymn before going out to the garden. Oh, that's right. You missed that one in your paper, huh? I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been good. <laughs> Yeah, Revelation. I wonder what they sang. It just says sing a hymn. Yeah. So hymn is a word like that from that old? I think so. Or sing a song. Yeah, I wonder it's what probably the maybe. Greek word would have been there. A selah. So like I said, Paul talks about this a couple times, but one thing I thought was interesting that I pointed out is that he also exemplified it um, when he's in the Roman prison in Acts 16. But I try to tell my students sometimes when I'm doing the gathering, try to do some explanation of why we sing at the beginning of worship. And that's good. Yeah. Telling that I do that, try to do it every six months or so so that students are hearing, oh, this mm-hmm. is why we sing. Because mm-hmm. it unifies us because we're all doing something together. It's something we can all do as one. It is also we're going to get into the aesthetic nature. So there's like beauty right. in music. But, all, but music affects our souls in a specific way. And I just use the example with students that often when you're feeling happy, people like to listen to happy songs or if people are going through something hard. They like to hear songs that kind of match their emotion. It's like something in the music they identify with their their emotion. And the opposite can happen when you f- hear a song. It can affect your mood. Mm-hmm. And so whatever the kind of emotion or message of the message is, it can affect what I would say is your soul um, in that moment. And so and you've got Saul in the Old Testament with the having the song come to calm the disturbing spirit. Mm -hmm. And so there's this connection between music and how it affects our souls. Mm. And so when we sing in worship, we're engaging in that connection between music and the soul. Mm -hmm. And then the teaching aspect. Yes. That our theology is largely shaped by the worship songs we sing. Oh yeah. I can't tell you how many times in prayer people pray lyrics of songs that they've heard. Yeah. Because that's what they—that's where they learn so much of their theology, uh-huh. and so you'll hear people using song lyrics as their own prayers and as the way that they describe God to other people. Mm-hmm. So it really does tons of teaching. Mm-hmm. So the other one, the other worship act that I talked about next then is preaching, and I think sometimes people fail to recognize preaching as an act of worship within the fourfold structure. 
because often we just refer to the musical element as worship instead of praise and worship. Right. Um, but really preaching is also an act of worship. And I like what uh, Long, another author that we read, talks about that preaching is not an isolated event performed by one person, but it involves the entire church. And it's positioned within a larger worship service. So one of the things that I noted in my paper is that really preaching is not primarily about uh, teaching and entertaining. Hmm. Although those aspects are included in a good sermon, but really chiefly it involves bringing glory and praise to God. And something that St. Augustine noted regarding preaching, it should do the following things. It should inform, persuade, and delight. So then the response could take the form of an altar call, could be communion, could be praise and worship um, song, or maybe silent contemplative prayer. There's several ways you could respond, but like Joel said, it's an important aspect of the worship service. Mm -hmm. So at Wired this past week, as I mentioned, uh, we focused on being in harmony with each other as well as in harmony with the church and everything. Yeah. And so one of the night messages was specifically on being reconciled and in unity with other believers, with the brothers and sisters, that there's no other, no other, it's not okay to be at odds with other believers and to just leave things like unresolved that we need to repent and we need to be reconciled and in unity with each other. And so as a re the response for that message was go find people. If there's anybody in this youth group, in your youth group or in this building that you have some sort of un something unresolved with, go make it right. Go repent, mm -hmm. go pray together, go be unified. And so the response was directly correlated with the message. And it was just a reconciliation response mm -hmm. to go pray together. And it was really powerful. That's good. I like that. So we mentioned that a traditional response is communion. And I'll just say briefly, one of yeah. the one of the reasons that that's can be a really important response is because of the unifying nature that we're saying we are coming together now as the people of God under the blood of Christ. And we're receiving, not only are we receiving the body and blood of Christ, but as we receive Christ, we're also receiving the word of God because Christ is the word of God. And so as a way we're saying the word of God that we have heard, we are taking into ourselves. So mm -hmm. I've received this word that I've mm -hmm. just heard and mm -hmm. I take it into my very body as a way to receive what God's done. So that mm -hmm. kind of metaphor of Christ being the word of God that we're taking in is an appropriate way to respond. And then you have the sending where you're sent out. And often that's just a quick benediction um, in our services where you're dismissed and blessed to go out and be, you know, a model of new creation in the yeah. in the culture. I think it needs to be clear that it's not just like a greeting. I think some people will take the benediction as like that's how we know it's over, more mm. than as this is something that I that we ought to do or that I'm expected to enact. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would also say part of in in worship, our sending also includes the like goodbyes and hugs and that sort of thing that we mm. do to each other. As we're on our way out, we tend to like, bless, you know, have a good week. Like that sort of thing. <laughs> Dana? Yeah. I'm not leaving without my hug. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, in the Anglican Church, they do the passing of the peace. Mm -hmm. It's like a part of their ser service. Mm -hmm. Okay. What where they they're do? like, now it's time for the passing of the peace. Everybody's like, peace be with you or yeah. peace be with oh, you. Oh, you say it to everyone around, around each other. Everybody kind of stands up and... Just to whoever's around you. Greets, yeah, yeah. I've been in Anglican services several times, but I... Uh, you didn't not. pass the peace? I did, I did, I did. <laughs> I passed it. I just, okay, it good. didn't stick with... I, I had not remembered that, but now that you mention it, it sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it was interesting. I mean, many churches, traditional churches growing up, like visiting with grandma and grandpa or something, I remember where mm -hmm. it was stand up and meet your neighbor, say hello, say hi right. to your neighbor kind of yeah. thing. That's pretty, yeah, I, it felt similar, functionally similar to that. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. So we could talk a lot more about the fourfold structure and all these different elements. Let's not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but let's not. We've got other things to get to. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we'll now move on from to, liturgical from liturgical to, to doxological doxological so the question with that one then is why is it important that worship is god oriented rather than human oriented so a couple of things on this that i wrote in my paper is first there's a definition of worship um, by j.e burkhart he says Worship is the celebrative response to what God has done, is doing, and promises to do. So notice here the, the primary emphasis is on God. Now there is the acknowledgement of response to the worshiper. So that's the aspect of it. Uh, but the primary emphasis is placed on God. And a failure to recognize this truth it leads to a lot of the consumeristic church mentality that we were talking about earlier. Hmm. One of the things Robert Weber talks about is that many of our contemporary popular songs are not directed to God, yeah. nor do they glory in the cross of Christ. Rather, they're concentrated on personal experience and self-realization. Like, I ran out of that grave. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's another example? Well, well, I guess we don't need to dwell too much on like bad worship songs, but <laughs> this quote you just you right. just provided is, yeah. is making an accusation. So right. a little more context there. Well, and he says uh, one other quote from Weber. He says, the primary importance of worship is not what I do, but mm -hmm. what God is doing. Or who God is, right? Is that just going to be praise? Or who, or yeah, who God is I noticed well. that quote was all about the action of God rather than just the character of God. That's true. So I don't so. know if he's trying to distinguish worship and praise and those things or not. What about that one that's like, I believe in you, you're the God of miracles. Mm -hmm. What are the other words? Mm -hmm. I believe. That's a little of both, right? Yeah. It's talking about God. One that and bothers me, which again, I don't That's know if it's true. healthy for us to just like bash certain worship songs or whatever, but... <laughs> well, different, that, yeah. you know, time and place That's for right. the different types of songs. That's As we true. talked about earlier, yeah. like, it's important that we're singing different songs. One that bothers me is like, I'm gonna lift my hands till I can reach heaven. I'm gonna shout your mm -hmm. name till the walls come falling That's down. true. It sounds like I've I'm the one doing it. I've come to worship. I've come to worship. Like, that's a good line. I've come to worship. You mm -hmm. know, that's like calling us to worship almost. Huh. But the others are so like, yeah, so like focused I, on I know the yeah. steps yeah. to yeah. make results. Yeah. Yeah. A personal thing with me, too, is I really like songs that are more... <laughs> it's funny that I started it that way. 
a very personal aspect of myself what I like. is that I like songs that are corporate in nature <laughs> that use we. Um, mm-hmm. But that talk about our praise and we lift our voice and mm-hmm. just acknowledge the fact that we're doing it together. So as a opposite side of that is Waymaker, I think of starts with you are here moving in our midst, mm-hmm. right? So it starts out good, about yeah. what God is doing and then it's corporate mm-hmm. moving in our midst. We worship you, right? Or just say, I worship you either way. We worship you, right? It's we. I think it is both. Yeah. Or people do both when they lead it, at least. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of songs that you can choose to do we or I. I yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. That's enough of that. Okay. A great doxological example is found in Luke chapter 2. Luke 2. Of course. The, uh, the, of, the, the angels. The angels uh, appearing to the shepherds and singing holy, holy uh, singing... Glory to God in the highest. Yes, and on earth, peace, uh, peace, goodwill toward men. Verse 20 says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I just found it a nice biblical example. And a Christmas example. (laughs) (laughs) And the next thing is that it is, worship is... Sacramental? Aesthetical. Shouldn't it just be aesthetic? Aesthetical. (laughs) (laughs) So what is the role of beauty in worship? So this refers to the way things look, sound, smell, feel. Yeah. Mm. Indeed. All the above, which I'm glad that this is totally off topic here, but uh, we can include it because, you know, a lot of Hmm. traditional churches, high churches, if you prefer the term, uh, they (laughs) use incense as a like scent element to their worship and we mm. don't ever do that and i was yeah. recently thinking it'd be nice if we had some worship service through the year that used incense mm. um, i like a, incense i do too as a component of worship but anyway that's an aside i can tell you in um japan the buddhist places always have an incense smell and it definitely it's, it's become something that you associate with like mm. a i mean not sacred to me but in a way like sacred mm. place you, you smell that smell. Mm. It's always the same kind. It's always the same scent. Wow. Yeah. Well, smells are so powerful as far as uh, association. association. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's good that this one comes right after doxological. Because I think this does very much build on the focus being God-centered. And then once you have that in place, you're able to use creativity and beauty mm-hmm. and, you know, art and architecture and all these things. To reinforce that. Yeah, to reinforce. Mm-hmm. Go back to um, our uh, podcast episode with Christian to yeah, hear more about that. Yeah, episode six with Christian is talking almost specifically about this. Um, I feel like we've referenced that one more than any other. Yeah, we have referenced that one a lot. Good job, Christian. Good work, Christian. It's his birthday today. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, Christian. Wow. <laughs> we never had him on again, but he's... Uh, his... <laughs> His presence is lasting. He's been yeah, his presence has continued. Yes. In a way. Yes. Um, one of the things I put here is the importance of the worshiper rejecting any notion of neo-gnosticism, which basically seeks to suppress the physical creation as evil while elevating and idealizing the spiritual reality. Um, and so with a lot of these physical aspects of beauty and smell and our our senses, um, we affirm that God created us good and 
very good and the physical aspect of who we are is good. Um, so does that mean that we ought to reject any kind of notion of like closing off the world, block anything out, like meditative, mm. you know, have your eyes closed, don't see anybody, don't be able to try to mm. let all else fade away. Mm. And just think about Jesus. That's meditating on Jesus, which is a good thing, I guess. But um, is that overemphasized? Is that not good? I do think there's something to be said for yeah. taking in the creation around yeah. you and mm-hmm. the and the especially the beauty, the beautiful parts, the positive mm-hmm. aspects of it, as a an additional reminder of God's character and of His blessings. I think you're definitely right. And I think there's a place for both. When we do worship on the beach, which we do a couple times a year usually with the youth group, I always encourage the students not to close their eyes in worship. We often close our eyes in worship to focus on Mm -hmm. God and so we're not distracted by things around us. But I encourage you guys actually to look around, not just look at the person singing and leading worship, but look Mm -hmm. around at creation. We're in this place that's so beautiful. We're joining in creation as we worship. And so I think that is actually a component of the worship that you're looking at what God's created mm. and taking in the beauty. Yeah. But thinking of the aesthetic goal, aesthetical nature right. of worship, mm-hmm. <clears throat> like imagine a candlelight service that you've been to. If you've been to a candlelight service, mm-hmm. one of the reasons those are so powerful is because of the beauty of seeing the lights and everything. It draws us into worship because of the beauty of those images. Mm. And the collectivism, too, <clears throat> going back to yeah. the congregational. Mm-hmm. On a more simple note, when we're talking about the aesthetical nature of church, is the fact that the music should sound good. Right? We want our music to sound good. We don't want it to be off-key. We don't yeah. want it to be just over, overly simple. Maybe there's a place for really simple worship uh, at sometimes, but we want it to sound beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so if you can produce music that sounds beautiful, that's the goal. We want people who are on stage to look good. We don't want people to look like just shabby, shabby, right? <laughs> it needs to look like they tried. Right, they tried. It doesn't mean right. they have to be attractive people. Right. But there needs to be an aesthetic nature. To the way people look, the way the building looks, the way the worship sounds. Those are that's a little bit more of just the simple aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, the screens, the lyrics, like the that kind of stuff is important. The lighting that we use is really big in modern churches. Mm-hmm. That we try to use lighting that is beautiful and elevates yeah. uh, elevates God and just the beauty of light. Mm. Yeah, and then the communion is a huge one. Of course, it's this very physical act. Mm of eating something and tasting something and um, you're using your body to experience the grace of God. So then this is why in the past church was something you had to dress up for. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's been a mistake Mm -hmm. to move away from that? Or do you think it's just society in general, the definition of dressing up has changed? I think probably that it's still good Hmm. to look nice at church but but nowadays like a tie is something that's very rarely worn right that's an interesting question i do think that's worth considering when you're dressing for church is how are you presenting yourself to go and meet with god and his people and his people Mm -hmm. the factor we normally talk about with casual dress is the way that it makes new people feel. Mm-hmm. That there's right. a component of people feeling accepted as they are into worship, which glorifies God, that people mm-hmm. feel welcome to his 
yeah. into his body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's that component to think about is we can be intentional about our address that we're also connecting with people. I think also within the yeah. the classification of casual is very broad. We don't want people in there really like in pajama pants and uh, sweats, tank tops. Mm-hmm. But that line might be different for everybody. So is that just a personal decision? Is that more of a church decision? I mean, we wouldn't turn. We wouldn't yeah. want to be turning people away generally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things we did talk about in classes with all of this aesthetical stuff, a big part is the context you're in. So certainly if you're in Africa or Germany or in the Amazon and Ecuador, all of the, these aspects um, are, are going to be a bit different depending on that. In Western society, it's pretty closely tied to social status or like mm-hmm. economical status. One component I'll mention on communion is yeah. this is one of the things that bothers me about the Prepackaged communion mm. is how bad it tastes, <laughs> and there's actually it something to it, right? It's like, yeah. don't you want yeah. if you can make something like more pleasing in that mm-hmm. way? Isn't that a good thing? Same mm-hmm. with obviously like coffee and snacks that we do is we want it to be good. We want the coffee to be good, but especially with communion, don't you want to try to get yeah. elements that are good or maybe not because it was made without yeast, and so was that making it intentionally not as. Mm. Uh, What's the word? Decadent, I guess. Mm. What do you think about that? They are bad. I know. <laughs> the little packaged ones are really bad. Some people might feel the same way, though, about like using cheap juice versus like higher quality or using real wine or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've, I mean, I've heard that argument as far as using wine is how much more of a like taste connection there is to what Jesus actually did, and then you would associate wine closer to blood, like mm-hmm. it's got that like bitterness mm-hmm. yeah, to it. It's not sugary. Yeah, it's not so sugary. Mm. The thing that bothers me more about the prepackaged is that you lose the symbolism of them all coming from the same mm-hmm. place. You know, them all being administered from the front, so it's one mm-hmm. the symbol the body at least broken. of one body broken yeah, right. into many pieces. Um <clears throat> Hmm. We're still talking in the lens of aestheticism. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Which we're getting a little. But we're now moving, moving into into sacramental. Ah. Baptism, so, marriage, last rites, sacramental. Last rites. Why do the sacraments matter, especially the Eucharist, communion, Lord's Supper? <laughs> it's all the same thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> especially that one. Um, especially. The table. The table. <laughs> Why does that matter in worship? And then how is worship a means of grace? Can you give us a definition of sacramental here? For, or should we offer our own definitions? Uh, the sacraments are basically our means of grace that were established by Jesus. Is the, at least the way we would go in the Protestant. Like, Catholic Church has seven sacraments that they acknowledge Protestants typically focus on two and a half. Oh yeah. Kind of marriage is like really treated sacramentally, but we usually okay. don't say that it is. And we say that it's, it was created instituted by God affirmed yeah. by Christ. Okay. Yeah. Cause Christ went back to in the beginning, God created mm. the male and female. What are the other two? The two communion that are focused on baptism, baptism. Oh. is yeah. Communion and baptism in okay. the Protestant tradition. 
So besides those three, then, or well, the Catholic Church, then what would the others be? Confession, uh, ordination. Holy. Ordination meaning only for the priesthood? Mm -hmm. Okay. Last rites? And what's the seventh? I can't remember. We already said marriage. Do uh -huh. we count that one? Uh -huh. Excommunication. <laughs> <laughs> no, exorcism. Exorcism. No. Huh. Wait, uh, communion, baptism, marriage, last rites. Praying over the sick? Ordination? Confession. Confession. That's only six? No, anyway. Let me see. Here we go. Oh, Holy orders, confession, baptism, anointing of the sick. There you go. Okay. Wait a second. No, no, no. <clears throat> Confirmation. Confirmation? Yeah. Um, so the question then is, or the, the topic is incorporating the sacraments into worship, right? Corporately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, specifically communion. Communion. Um, which which we already talked about a good bit. Yeah, actually, we have covered that pretty well. Mm -hmm. Just that the what about church, baptism then? The church needs to be a place where baptism and communion are happening. Mm -hmm. Basically, those need to be the elements that are occurring in church. I've wrote a bit about <laughs> this aspect of worship also being a sanctifying reality, which I think is important. Um and then in that, I talked about the a bit about the means of grace, this idea of the means of grace. Why those two? Like, that's not the only way we receive grace from God. No, just these are mm. practices that Jesus commanded that we do as the church. So this is a whole category, right? Sancti mm -hmm. Sacraments. Oh, sacramental, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it seems like sacraments are kind of a niche category of... Mm -hmm. Christian mm -hmm. elements like what makes they're not more important than reading the Bible. Yes, time in the Word and time with God, but mm -hmm. it sounds like a like a stronger pillar because it's this very the the word sacrament sounds really lofty, mm -hmm. but it sounds to me like it's just two things that should happen at a church sometime. But then what makes that different than laying of hands, praying for one another? Preaching from the word, tithes and offerings, supporting the widows and orphans, which mm -hmm. also Jesus or commanded. Uh, commanded many times, or mm. multiple times. Hmm. Is there? Is this like? I don't. I don't really understand how this concept of sacraments came to be. I guess we would have to do a dive into church history probably to get that specifically. But as far as I know. One of the reason ordination came about, one of the reasons ordination came about was to make sure that the sacraments were being properly administered so that people who were being baptized, which baptism is the entrance into the body of Christ. Hmm. So in order for somebody to start being a part of the church and the, and the family, mm -hmm. they were baptized. So this is saying we want to be sure that people are coming into the body of Christ, knowing that they're saved and they're right with God and what it means to be a believer. Okay, so there's the importance of that is that it's kind of like the parameters of who we are as the church by who's getting baptized. Mm -hmm. And then the communion then is for those who had come into the church as a unifying and continuing element of being united with Christ and each other through Jesus's blood, like which is, you know, obviously the centrality of the cross and the resurrection is contained in communion. So. Mm -hmm. That's at least my thoughts as far as some of the historical importance. But 
And for the Catholic Church, theirs are not on that same level at all. There are other ones. They're not as in central, you mean? Yeah, they. I'm sure the Catholic Church would have a fascinating answer, you know, to the question of more like what, what is a sacrament and yeah, why and all that. But we would have to. Well, generally, this category is a little confusing to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. And I think that's one of the reasons why in my paper I shifted a little bit toward the language of means of grace. Mm -hmm. So Wesley defines the means of grace as outward signs, word or actions oriented of God and appointed for this end to be the ordinary channels whereby he might convey to men preventing, justifying and sanctifying grace. <laughs> that's quite a definition. Mm -hmm. It's a bit of a mouthful. But the keys there is just um, ordinary channels by which we experience God and are sanctified. So in the context of Christian community, the acts of worship, such as fellowship, music, singing, prayer, scripture reading, preaching, etc., convey the grace of God to those gathered. Thus, wonderful result of God-centered corporate response will be personal transformation in the life of the worshiper. In this way, worship is both a doxological and sanctifying reality. So again, this just goes back to what I was talking about earlier, where um, when you have things rightly ordered, a huge result of Christian worship is going to be sanctification and uh, personal transformation as well. So in summary... My uh, paragraph here is that congregational worship is ecclesiological, not individualistic, recognizing the unity of the new covenant community. It is liturgical, involving a wide variety of significant acts situated within a fourfold structure. It is doxological, a God-centered event of celebration, remembrance, and anticipation for his worthy character and mighty acts. It is aesthetical, acknowledging that all beauty, goodness, and truth points to God. And a congregational worship is sacramental, whereby outward signs of inward grace result in a sanctifying reality of personal transformation. Therefore, with these theological attributes in mind, may every worshiper of Christ wholeheartedly follow and passionately uphold the admonition of Hebrews 10.25, to not neglect meeting together. Yeah. There we go. On it. All right. That was the last paper I submitted for seminary. Nice. And your degree is called what? It's a Master of Arts in Ministry. M-A-M? Yeah. M-A-M. M-A-M. Painting, they learn painting and ministry. The old ma'am. <laughs> That's that. And that's that. So thank you guys for listening. Any final thoughts on uh, creating a podcast, doing this? And we certainly thank everyone that has taken time to listen. And especially provide any kind of uh, feedback. Yeah. Those people. That was great. Oh, mm -hmm. Exciting to hear that to hear that someone actually is listening. Yeah. I probably got the most feedback because of mm -hmm. being at Harvest where people were listening to it and talking to me about it. Yeah. Every now and then, I'd run into someone and and have a conversation. That was always a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. But it's been a lot of fun. It's been good just to stay connected. It's been a good way for mm -hmm. us three to be able to talk and stay connected and have right. 
uh, intellectually and spiritually stimulating conversation to talk about. Yeah, which was really our main goal. And if you'd like to find season two of our podcast, (laughs) (laughs) well, for me, of course, it exposed me to a lot of things I I had not really discussed much before. Yeah. Having never gone through seminary. So that was it. That was uh, usually interesting. There there may have been once or twice where I felt like I got too densely seminarian um, and not practical. Mm hmm. Um, but for the most part, I thought it was uh, good to be thinking more intentionally about a lot of things that we can take for granted. Mm-hmm. Which is very reflective of seminary itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, I, often I would leave a class thinking, oh, that was very interesting, but what's the practical <laughs> application of that uh, lecture? Yeah. Um, oh, I remember one time we had in my Hebrew class, we had a guest speaker who was working on his PhD in he- in Hebrew. So there you go, like doing a PhD in Hebrew in itself is like, golly, talk about academic, on the academic side. Yeah. But his his uh, thesis um, mm-hmm. was on the phrase in the Book of Kings that says, like, these, the rest of these events are found in the books of the annals of the kings of Israel or whatever. Like, that's what his Whoa. thesis was on, was that phrase. And so all class, he talked about that phrase. And I was like, why does this matter? <laughs> Golly, but that can totally happen where people just get lost mm-hmm. in the in the depths yeah. of yeah. academic study. Yeah. Doctrinal work is often like that. Yeah. <laughs> the class that it bothered me the most with how academic it felt, ironically, was practical theology. <laughs> <laughs> the practical theology course was so academic yeah, and cool. seemingly unpractical. That's <laughs> Oh my goodness. Cool. But it's been great. It's been a lot of fun. Really appreciate everybody who has commented and let us know that they've been listening. And even if you haven't, if hopefully that you've learned and been encouraged in your relationship with the Lord and yeah. in your personal study and desiring to learn more about God and the the word through this. And to just be more intentional in your application of faith to your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If anybody was impacted by this, then that's a win. Yeah. Win for sure, because it's been good for us. One of the big things I've noticed, too, is how much um, more of the content has stuck with me that we've also done an episode on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was great for me to revisit a lot of it Mm -hmm. and try to rethink through things that I had learned in seminary Mm -hmm. and be able to try to explain them again after being out for a few years. Yeah. Anything you're learning, if you can find some way to try to teach it, that goes so far. It's and it really reveals how well you understood the content. Yeah. And yeah. that's true. And beyond just rehashing it, even like, you know, you're taking tests, writing papers, it's very easy to regurgitate memorized information. But yeah. then if you're trying to explain it to someone, that really reveals your comprehension. Mm-hmm. There were many times in this process where you would ask a question. I was like, uh, I don't know, <laughs> but that's the thing they said in class. <laughs> well, again, just a huge thank you to everyone that has taken time to to listen to this and uh, be a part of our conversations. We certainly uh, pray that you'll continue to grow in your love and knowledge for the Lord and that he will use you richly in your environments. <laughs>